Turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19, through chapter 9, verse 2. That's our the context of the message that we're sharing this entire Christmas season. The light that shines in darkness. Today we're going to especially look at verse number 20. Let me first read it to you, eight, chapter 8 of Isaiah 19 through 9, 2. When they say to you, consult the mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, shall not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished. It will turn out that when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. They will be driven away into darkness. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in, in anguish. In earlier times he treated the land of Zebulon the land of Naphtali, with contempt. But later on, he will make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. This is a reference to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, help us to understand today as we look at this passage again. Draw our hearts to you, and may we grow a greater appreciation for what you have done for us as we study together. Keep our our minds clear and active on your word, that we may grow thereby and glorify you all the more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage today, verse number 20 sounds somewhat strange a little bit to to our ears, perhaps. To the law and to the testimony, it says. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. Now, if you were reading from a different translation, you might have said, well, that's not exactly the words I have here today. And you may be wondering as well, as many do, how does this fit in this whole context? But verse number 2 of chapter 9 is the key to it all. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. There were many words that talked about the darkness, and the living in the darkness, and walking in the darkness, and being sent into the darkness, that this entire passage just um, highlights that all the way through here. And the reason for the darkness is because of rejection. They rejected their God. In Isaiah's day, especially, we're talking about the people who should have known better. They rejected their God. Last week we spent some time in verse number 19 how they had rejected their God, and yet it was God who initiated the shining of the light. He didn't have to do that. He did it. 
For those who had rejected him, he could have easily just wiped them off the face of the, the globe. But he didn't. Instead, seeing their rejection and seeing the darkness that they had walked into, he was willing to shine the light. And we talked about that last week. Uh, there are three other things that we're discussing in this series. So in one sense, I was hoping we didn't have a snow day today. Because that would have put our schedule way off with Isaiah. And, and then we'd be there the rest of the next year too. Um, but here in the second thing I'd like to share with you. Not only did they reject God. Verse number 19 was our emphasis of that. But in verse number 20, they also rejected his word. The rejection of his word will lead to darkness. It always does. That God is willing to shine his light in our darkness shows his persistence. It shows his faithfulness. He will not quit. And that's what I want to share with you this morning, especially how he initiated the shining of the light again. He brought it to them even though they had rejected him. In Isaiah's day, put yourself in their sandals for a few minutes. The opportunity to know the message of the Lord was given to the people in several ways. First, they had the testimony of history, didn't they? They lived, their, their families, their fathers, their grandfathers, their generations before that, lived the events of our Old Testament. They were there when these things happened. When they experienced the crossing of the Red Sea. I would guess that that would be a life-changing event for anybody to have seen such a thing. They experienced the crossing of the Red Sea. They saw the pillar of cloud by day for 40 years. How do you forget that? The pillar of fire by night. The same 40 years they wandered. The Lord had presented himself to them day and night. They saw the conquest of Jericho. They watched those walls come down by God's great hand. They saw the defeat of Goliath. So many episodes. We can go on and on and on through Old Testament stories. They saw God's powerful hand visibly at work in their presence. They saw that. If God did miracles like that in our presence, would we be firm believers in Him? If God went and split the Red Sea for you, what would you think? Knock down a Goliath in front of you? Would that change your faith? In Isaiah's day, they had the opportunity to know the Lord through the message of the prophets. They had Isaiah with them. We're reading of his story right now. They had Micah about the same time. Joel about the same time. Amos. Jonah. Elisha before that. 
Elijah, before that. Nathan came and talked to David, remember? A prophet by the name of Gad. A prophet by the name of Samuel. Hosea. Zephaniah. Dot, dot, dot. Many, many prophets. We have the record of their of their prophecies as well. An unnamed host of them as well. Direct mouthpieces of God and of His will. If God spoke to us like that in our day, would we be firm believers in Him? In Isaiah's day, they had the opportunity to know the Lord through the giving of His Word. They had the law. The law had been given to them directly by Moses, remember? First five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They had those books that they could read. They had the history of Joshua. They had the history of the Judges. They had the history of the book of Ruth. They had the history of 1 Samuel. They had the history of 2 Samuel. They had the history of 1 Kings. They had the history of 2 Kings, almost. They were living it at the time. They had the book of Proverbs. They had the book of Psalms. They had the book of Job. They had the book of Ecclesiastes. They had the book of Song of Solomon. They had those, plus several of the minor prophets already written. In this day of Isaiah, they had that many available to them already. A big portion of the Old Testament already written. They had the opportunity to know the word of the Lord. If God had given us his word in our day, would we be firm believers in him? Now you've got to think about that question, don't you? Why? Because we do have his word. We do have his word. And it's complete. Do you realize the blessing and the privilege it is to have a copy of God's Word? Do you realize it? You have one of these? Carry it with you? This magnificent volume of God's Word Consider the folks in history of Isaiah's day. I shut this. That's not going to do me much good. I'll open it back up. There it is. They're possessors of the history of God's works. Possessors of the prophets of God. Possessors of the word of God. Yet in this passage that we have right here in front of us, Verse number 20, the fact is, they had rejected his word. Rather than turn to his word for instruction, verse 19 says they went to the spiritists. They went to the fortune tellers. They went to those who consulted the dead, who whispered and muttered. We would simply say, shame on them. They had God's word, why did they do that? Why did they go 
that way? Why did they neglect what God had said? Why did they reject it for something that was cheap and useless and even, even evil? Why did they do that? You couldn't squeeze the truth out of the messages that came from these spiritists, fortune tellers. They had no truth to give. Scripture says, it's because, verse 20, they had no dawn. They had no dawn. We look forward to the dawn of each day. What do we see there? When the dawn comes up, we, we see the sky start to lighten. A little bit there in the east, you start to see the color change in the sky as it gets lighter and lighter. You see trees and houses start to take shape in the darkness. You see colors start to come into the sky. The brightness comes to a stronger manifestation. Moment by moment, we see the light get brighter and brighter and brighter. That's what a dawn brings to us every single time we see it. It says in this passage, verse number 20, these people do not even have a flicker. They don't even have a speck. They don't have any kind of light. Any shade less than dark. They have no dawn, it says. It's all darkness, and it's not going to change. The message they were looking for would not come from these folks they thought had the truth. The spiritists, the mediums, the fortune tellers. They had nothing to give them. It's a shame they rejected the only source that could give them the truth and the light. The phrase, matter of fact, we're reading here. To the law, to the testimony. It's kind of an interesting statement. You see, just to underscore what he's saying here. When you turn out the light of God's truth, all that is left is darkness. Understand that. When you turn off the light of the truth, there is nothing else. They live in a dark land. This land would be dark without God's word. Any land is dark without God's word. Let's talk about the Bible for a moment. It ought to be important to us, right? I would say so. I'd like to say, after all, it is our middle name. Hillsdale Bible Church. Now, we have not idolized the Bible. We don't set it up and worship it. We recognize it for what it is. It's God's communication to us. It's what he has said. Our doctrinal statement reads that the Bible is the verbally inspired word of God in both the Old and New Testaments. It is inerrant in its original autographs and it is the church's absolute authority. That's what we sign and say we believe. Technically, we do not reject it then, as others do. 
practically, it might be a different story. For we can say what we believe, but living it is an entirely different thing. D.L. Moody used to say, the Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. And we may easily say, what well, we've been in the Bible church for many, many years. For some of us, most of our life. That's all I've pastored for 30 years, is Bible churches. In Sunday school, week after week. In church services, often, all the time. Evening, too. Maybe you were a teacher. Maybe a church leader of one kind or another. Have you reached your quota of Bible knowledge yet? Everett Harris, I don't know who he is, but I have his quote. No one ever graduates from Bible study until he meets the author face to face. I wonder how many ways one can live in rejection of God's word. Ignorance? That's a big problem. Pride? That's a big problem. Both in a heathen way and in a pharisaical way. The Pharisees knew the law, but their pride shows you they had no light. When the call comes to the law and to the testimony, how many people would treat that more like a threat than as a treasure? In Isaiah's day, that was the call. Because they were going to the wrong source. It says, let's go where we should go. Why are we consulting the dead when we have a living God? Why do we listen to their message when we have the law? We have the testimony. Why have they rejected it? It's because they have no dawn. Of all people on earth, Isaiah's audience, they had the experiences of history. They had the prophets of history. They had the word of God. And they walked away from it. And it's amazing how quickly it became dark. Because they turned their back on God's word. Scripture says that this book is a treasure. I want to examine your heart for a few minutes, okay? No, you examine it. I'm just going to read the passages. Your opinion of God's word. Psalm 19, verse 9 and 10 says, The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. 1st place to test. What's your desire for this book? What is more valuable to you than this book? They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. How many of you desire God's word because it is so sweet to you to read it? 
I love the depiction in Psalm chapter number one. It talks about the writer David, I believe, is writing, and he says, they are my delight day and night. That's a neat little word. When I dug it up, it's the, it's the word, it's kind of interesting. It's the word used in Hebrew for the sound a lion makes as it's eating something. And personally, I don't want to get close enough to find out what that really sounds like. But it, it's a delightful, purring, growling sound that goes with it. This, mm, 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 you know, that would make your devotion sound pretty interesting. But I wonder, if we put a sound effect to our reading of God's Word, what would it sound like to you? Would it be, ah, or would it be, ooh, or would it be, ah, or would it be, oh no? How do we respond? When we read this book, the writer says, it's sweeter than honey to him. I think he liked it. I think that's his way of, re- of expressing that. He says later, the psalmist of Psalm 119, that great big long psalm said in verse 11, Your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We use the word hid many times. It's treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. He says in verse 14, Psalm 119, verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. Sometimes we get excited when we see the bank balance start to grow a little bit. Here he says, the more I read your word, the more I rejoice in it. It's greater to me than seeing my riches mount up. I rejoice in it. Psalm 119, verse 16. I shall delight in your statutes. Delight. That's a beautiful word. I shall not forget your word. Psalm 119, verse 18. Here's one of my favorite verses in that whole passage. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. Open my eyes. What a prayer request that is. That's a great way to start Bible study every single day. Open my eyes. Open my eyes. My favorite of all of those is in verse 130 of that same chapter. The unfolding of your word gives light. I consider that my job. My job to you is to take God's word and unfold it to you. Open it up that you may see it and understand what it says. To peel back the pages and say, this is the depth of it. This is where it goes. This is what it means. The unfolding of your word gives light, it says. It gives light. And it goes on to say, it gives understanding to the simple. In 131, the very next verse, I opened my mouth wide and I panted, for I longed for your commandments. Now, set yourself next to those verses. How do you view God's Word? What kind of appetite do you have for His Word? How is it revealed? Psalm 119, 105, a passage you know well. 
Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There was a day the prophets warned that there will be a famine for God's word. In Amos chapter 8, verse number 11, just before Isaiah came on the scene, Amos wrote these words, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. Isaiah was living in a day like that. It didn't take long for the light to no longer shine. See, when God's word is not taken, we go hungry. We go hungry. God's word is our lamp, it says. It is our light. And it does no good if we don't walk by it. It does no good if we keep it turned off. You turn off the light and where are you? In the darkness. It's kind of hard to walk down the path in the dark. I'm telling this to you today because, practically speaking, we are not far off from what we're reading about in Isaiah's day. And it's not about being in their history setting. It's not about whether or not we've seen the the waters divide in the rivers or such like that. It's not about whether a prophet has stood here or not. It's about God's Word and our reception of it. Because that's why they were in the dark. That's why they had no dawn. They had rejected God's word. And that's the one thing we have in common with them. We have God's word too. And it comes down to a response, doesn't it? Because here's how simple I can say this. To neglect God's word is just as harmful as to reject God's word. They both Leave you in the dark. Are we starting to feel a little convicted this morning? We're comparing how we desire God's word and the time we spend in God's word. I'm warning this morning. I'm just setting a warning before us. Because we're that close to being in darkness just like they were. To have all this available to us. And to not take advantage of it, and not to love it, and not to want it, is a very big danger in our day and age, just like it was in theirs. I don't want to live in a dark land, do you? We're that close at times. We're that close at times by neglecting God's Word. You you have a Bible in your hands today. What a privilege that is. I just want to talk to you a minute about history of that book in your hand. Just that book. An English copy of God's Word. I should have Drew come down here and tell you. He could tell you. Prior to 1400, you did not have a copy of God's Word in your language, English. You did not have one. In the early 1500s, 
a man by the name of William Tyndale wrote it out for you so you can read it. And he was killed for that. By the church. Another took up his pen. And a bunch of them fled the country. Because there was a queen who threatened to kill them all. Simple first name they gave to her. Bloody. Bloody Mary. Over the last 600 years. Think of this. The last 600 years. So many people have given of their talents. Of their time. Of their money, of their careers, even of their lives, to accurately translate for us God's Word in the language you speak right now. Many have done that. Publishers have invested much, printers have worked much, bookstores have sold much. Much. Just so that they can get a Bible into your hands so you could read it. Men have taken this scripture throughout the world. Into hospitals. Into schools. Into motels. We know that ministry. And we appreciate that ministry. We find in our country schools and colleges and institutes dedicated to understanding this book. We have churches scattered all over our land who hold to the testimony of what is true. God's message is not lacking. It's not lacking. I haven't even talked about television and radio and internet and all the other sources that is out there. In abundance, folks. An absolute abundance of God's Word available to us. All the time. All the time. I don't think any generation has ever known the abundance that we do. I don't know of any generation that has known more, had more available resources, had more access to it. How many languages can we also pull it up in today? You know, I have a Bible software program that I can pull up God's Word in Finnish or Sweden or Russian or Ukrainian or Japanese or Chinese or Hindu or anything. I could pull. There it is. I could pull it up in any language. Any language that it's written in. That's amazing to be able to push a button on that. I always think when I think of the uh, accessibility we have through the Internet and with emails and with software programs and all the rest. What would the Apostle Paul have done with that? Wow! He would have loved a day when he could have gotten God's Word out to any people at any time with just the push of a button. I think that's an awful lot. It really doesn't make sense that there's so much ignorance of God's Word. And with all the accessibility, I wonder if our generation might be about the most ignorant of knowing what's true. I don't know if you call that rejection or not. In one form or another, 
they have not turned to the law and the testimony. Do you think we can see what God sees? In the beginning was the Word, he said. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This is how John starts his Gospel. All things were made through him. And without him, not anything that was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And it says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. He initiated that. He didn't have to do it. But God says, they need my word. What an incredible thing that is. He didn't depend on us to remember with our memories. Because I think sometimes we have a little problem with memorization. He didn't say, I'm going to let those prophets live for 4,000 years so everybody can hear them. He said, I'm just going to have them write it in a book. Write it down. So that people could read it in their language. I'm going to have it written down. That's an incredible act of our God. To put His message in print. That we might always have it. He initiated that. Even though he knew how they rejected him. That same group that Isaiah writes to. They sit in the darkness. They live in the darkness. It stands to reason they rejected the light. Thankfully, God is persistent. (laughs) God is faithful. God does not quit. Because verse 2, we saw in chapter 9, these same people who walk in the darkness will see a great light. These same people who rejected Him, the light will shine on them. The promise was given. It was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. John said in first chapter of John, verse number 9, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. They were born, folks, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus said this as well in John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. I just try to picture myself every Christmas season, what it was like to be a shepherd sitting out there in the darkness. How fitting it is that that was the scene when the angels came. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and declared in that bright light the good news of great joy. 
For unto you this day is born a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That is the light. That is what the message has been talking about all these years. That's what God had recorded in here. I will send the light. I will send the light. Because my people persist on staying in the dark. I've given them my testimony of miracle after miracle. And they have sat in the dark. I've given them the testimony of my prophet. This one and that one and that one. And they've sat in the dark. I've given them the testimony of my word. And they've shut the book. And they won't turn it open. And they sit in the dark. So I will send my son. I will send my son. I'm so glad God didn't quit anywhere along the way. The first gospel message came with a blazing light. This morning I've shared with you some things for you to contemplate seriously. Because it speaks of our God. When He shines the light, what a wondrous thing it was that He did. He initiated the shining of that light. He brought it to them even when they rejected Him. They persisted in shining that light. He brought it to them even though they rejected His Word. If God had not initiated the gospel message, we would have never come to know it ourselves. We would have never come to know it. Because according to Scripture, we love darkness. We loved the darkness. We were in the darkness. We did not desire the light, nor could we have turned it on. What a wonder what God has done for us. He did what we could not do. It's all recorded in the book, isn't it? It's all right there from page to page. We have the chance to hear it. We have the chance to see it. Because faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by what? The Word of God. How unfortunate it is that man persists in rejecting the truth. Sometimes outright, and sometimes in neglect. But our God will never, ever change the Gospel message. What He said is what it is. In this generation, and in the ones that belong to our children, and the ones to our grandkids, and our great-grandkids, it's still the same message. It's what he's been proclaiming all these years. The same thing. The same thing. There are responses that come from such things that we read today and what we think about. We have the opportunity to see to hear God's word. We can't say this is too dim to notice, can we? <laughs> we, we can't say that it's not adequate to help us understand. See, God's word is, is rather bright if you come down to it. But as I've shared with you several verses today, there's a reality in this. There are some who believe it. 
There are some who love it and treasure it and live it. And they see those incredible blessings and privileges that God has given in simply having and knowing His Word. Because when we have and know His Word, then we know Him. Our Savior and our Lord, who we're supposed to be growing in our knowledge of and in His grace, right? We're called to that. And I hope, and I I really do hope, that I'm speaking to the majority of the folks here today. They love God's Word. They love God's Word. But there are also some who do reject it. Maybe it's neglect. Maybe it's ignorance. Maybe they even mock it. They see no value in God's Word. They have opinions about it, but they've never read it for themselves. I love talking to those people, don't you? They have high opinions, but they don't know what they're talking about. They're too busy in life to, to, to spend time in God's Word. They're too busy seeking life in the dead and not in the living. They're content in the darkness. They sit there and they dwell there. Going to church is not going to change their darkness. The church doesn't make a Christian. Only God makes a Christian. One person once said this. Being being in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in the garage makes you an automobile. There are some who come here because that's something they do habitually. They come to this place on Sundays because that's their habit. Because mom or dad expects that of them. They come here because they're, uh, well, they have to. But someday they're going to grow up and they're going to move on and they're going to finally no longer be accountable to coming to this church. Some do that. Some here today might not have one flicker of light in them. Not even a speck. Not even a faded light. Not even a dawn at all. They have all the opportunities that all of us do. They had the privilege of seeing the light just like we see the light. But they've rejected it because they do not believe in Him. They do not believe in Him. I opened up this morning to you God's Word to shine so you can see it as it is. That you may see it, that you might believe it. It's the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I give that to you. The Scripture says He came to His own And his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you ever thought that God's word was that important? We don't want to reject that message, do we? As I speak to you this morning, when we talk about the gospel and such and and we sent it, said it before you like this. You need to respond to God's word. That's all there is to it. There's a response. And you have one of two choices. You either believe it. Or you reject it. 
And there's different degrees on both of those, but that's obvious. That rejection, neglection, anything like that, it's all in that same department. There's no light. Believe it. Receive it. Treasure it. Love it. Live it. There's levels of that too, isn't there? As we mature along. But that's where the light is. That's what God has said. And today you're in one of the two places. You're in one of the two. And as a pastor, I'm appealing to you, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. If you do not know Him as your Savior, that is the only true light. And I appeal to you today to receive Him by faith. I call for you to do that. And if you are one who do know Him, now you have to think about another thing. How are you investing your time in His Word? It's such a precious thing, folks. It's such a precious thing. Let us be people who live up to our middle name. Heavenly Father, this is Your Word that You've given to us. And what a wonderful, miraculous, fascinating, life-changing book it is. May we not be neglectful people. May we not treat this word as insignificant or as a supplement along the way or as something that comes and goes when the mood is right. May we see it as our food and our drink. May we see it as our light and our guide and our strength and our fortress and our protection and our source of joy and our delight. May we see it as everything we need for life, for godliness. May we truly treasure this book. We thank you, Lord, for it. Thank you for what you've done to give it to us. We pray that we'll live up to what you have done and be faithful students of the Word. Thank you for our time here this morning, for what you're doing in our hearts and lives, even at this moment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.